Friends, greeting and welcome to The Well. I'm your host, Sean Barkley. As always, so glad to have you along. We spend about 10 or 15 minutes every week drinking from the life-giving water of the well known as God's Word and talking about what it is that God is saying to us through His Word, who He is and who we are and what's being revealed. And so I'm glad to have you along. As I speak, it's March Madness, which as a native Kentuckian is one of my favorite times of the year. I love college basketball, and I do love the University of Kentucky, but I love just good basketball in general. And I was conflicted, I guess last weekend, the University of Kentucky played Wofford. I don't even know if it's Wofford College or Wofford University. It's down in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And they're kind of a scrappy team. And of course, I was pulling for the Wildcats of UK, but I couldn't help but love the Wofford Terriers, this tiny little school, uh, David versus Goliath matchup, and it was a fabulous game. And after it was over and Kentucky had won, which proves that God is providential and watching over even trivial matters such as basketball. But after UK won, I did a little research on the coach at Wofford because I figured he would be kind of a hot name and a hot commodity in the coaching world. You know, there's this carousel where coaches are always being fired and hired in other places. And I learned that Mike Young, the coach's name, had been there for 17 years. And he was there 13 years prior to that as an assistant. So 30 years total. He's a lifer down in Spartanburg. And I learned as I researched his record that his first six seasons, he didn't have a single winning season. In fact, one of those years, he was 9-20. and 20. And in this day and age, going 9-20 and 20 is a quick way to be shown the door by an athletic administration. And for some reason... They didn't do that with Young. They stuck with him for six years. They did not have a single winning season. And finally, they break through. And now, really, they are a model for these small, quote, mid-major schools because they're able to play against these larger schools and be competitive and even win from time to time. And I love that thought that they stuck with him. They didn't just impulsively fire him. They gave him a chance. They believed in him. They trusted him, and they thought that his way would eventually bear fruit for that program, and it certainly has. And I want to think about that with you today, the notion of having to wait, the notion of having to be patient. Is there something in your life that God is asking you to believe? Is there something God is asking you to hope for, to have faith in, is there something God is saying, you're going to have to trust me on this? And what I want to do for these next few minutes is talk about the difference between trusting in God and trusting in our own strength. And there's a wonderful example that's found in the Old Testament that's actually quoted in the book of Galatians in chapter 4. God promised Abraham and Sarah a son, but they were elderly people, and it was hard to imagine this was going to happen, but they obeyed God, they moved, they followed Him, and God said, I'm going to you know, give you this nation as numerous as the stars in the heavens. We've talked about that already before. They had to wait 15, 20, 20 plus years. And finally, they started to grow impatient. Does God really mean what He says? Can we really believe God's promise? And so they identify Hagar, who is Sarah's maidservant, they get Abraham and Sarah, Hagar together. They have a son. And really, the results are, uh, I don't want to say disastrous, but there's a lot of conflict in the household. And historically, between the descendants of Hagar and her son Ishmael and Sarah and her son Isaac, there's been conflict historically. And 
the Bible in Galatians, Paul writes that there are two ways that, that you can look at this. Uh, one way is that Abraham and Sarah decided to take matter into their own hands and find a human or ordinary way to have this heir versus believing in God's divine promise. And so the ordinary way um, symbolically is to rely on ourself, to rely on the flesh. And the divine promise is to rely on God's way. And so while they waited, God took them on a journey. And during that journey, as they moved, they got tired. And they decided to forget about God's way and rely on the human way. And this happens in the Bible. I think it's interesting that in the Old Testament, when God liberated the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he took them to the promised land, you may know that it took them 40 years to get from Egypt to the land that God promised. But you might not know that really that's only about a four-week trip. I mean, it's about a month long. All they got to do is cross the Sinai Peninsula and head on into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. God led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night, and he took them on a 40-year winding journey. And sometimes God does this. Sometimes God takes us on a journey and maybe even takes us into the desert or the wilderness for a season of our lives, and God says, you have to trust me on this. You have to believe me. He did it with Moses, uh, 40 years in the wilderness before he went back to Egypt. He did it with Elijah, 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus was driven into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And in each case, God was saying, will you trust my providence? Will you trust my care? Will you believe me or will you believe and rely on yourself? And so sometimes you and I find ourselves in the desert for no reason that we can discern. That we're there. Maybe it's a journey we take with a child that's having trouble, or a journey we take with a, an aging parent, or in a journey we take with our health, maybe we get a bad diagnosis, a journey with our career or our marriage or whatever you fill in the blank. But here's the idea. When God leads you and me on a journey, and life is one, and we have to wait on God, maybe even in a desert season of life, this isn't intended to be a season of punishment. Do you see what I mean? God is not punishing us when we go through this. It's intended to be a season where we learn to trust in God as our Father in heaven. Abraham and Sarah, that's what they did. They uprooted their lives and they migrated. God could have fulfilled his promise to have a child within a year, but he was building them. Same with the people of God in Israel being delivered out of Egypt. God was doing something new. And God was inviting them to trust in His care alone. You see, in those days, the wilderness, where they were, was a scary place. It was a cold place. It was a place where humans, out of anxiety, would make all kinds of sacrifices to these mythical gods for protection. And now God's saying, no, if you trust me, I will be with you and I'll protect you. And so if you're in a season of waiting or a season of being in the wilderness... There are a couple of biblical truths I want to share with you. Things to think about as God takes you on the journey. The first thing that God gives you and me on the journey, He teaches us patience. Now, most of us, I mean, we want patience. I don't know of anybody who says, I don't want to be patient. I want less patience. But very few of us want the discomfort of learning to be patient. 
I mean, you go back to Abraham and Sarah. Every day they're going to wake up and say, am I going to believe God today? We've uprooted and moved. There's no baby on the way. I'm not pregnant. Every day the Israelites would wake up and say, I guess we're going to follow this pillar of cloud today. It seems like we're going the wrong way. But in both cases, God was teaching them to be patient. Years ago, I had a, a dog, and she was an adorable little dog. I always get these mutts. And she was so good, I would put a little treat on her nose, right on the bridge of her nose, so you can picture that. And she loved these treats. And I would, I would just put that on the bridge of her nose, and she would just be dying to eat it. And she would look at me, and I would say, not yet. Not yet. And she'd be perfectly still. <laughs> she would not even move her eyes from me. And then finally, after maybe 10 seconds of saying not yet, and she's going crazy, I would say, okay. And she would snap it up into the air and catch it in her mouth. And in doing that, I was trying to teach her patience. And I'm sure to a dog that seemed pretty arbitrary. But I wanted her to learn how to stay calm and not to be impulsive because we lived in an area where there were all kinds of rabbits and squirrels, but also a very busy street. And she loved to chase rabbits and loved to chase squirrels into the, into the street. And so I was trying to teach her to be patient. You see, when God teaches you and me patience, I've seen a couple things happen, at least in my life. One, what I've seen is that patience teaches me the importance of understanding God's timing. You see, God has his own timing. I mean, I talk about this with my son. Timing in life is key. You know, doing the right thing at the wrong time often has the same result as doing the wrong thing at the right time. So we have to learn patience. As you know, I'm a Presbyterian minister in the church I serve, Crestview Church, outside of Cincinnati. I had been here for six months and realized that the congregation could probably use a capital campaign. And I kept thinking, is it really the right time for that? I mean, no one in their right mind would say, let's have a capital campaign. No one, in my position at least, would say, I'm going to move to a new church and within six months, I'm going to pr propose a capital campaign, but we did. And before I had been here for a year, we had had a capital campaign and raised a million dollars. The timing was right. Sometimes the timing says you got to wait and be patient. Sometimes, though, whenever God teaches us patience, we learn to look for His timing. And so maybe God is teaching you that, the, the value of timing in life. Another thing I've seen in my own life is that when God teaches us patience, when we go through one of these seasons of kind of wonder, where God, where are you? What are you doing here? It makes us far more compassionate people. You know, I, I'm around folks all the time who might observe someone doing something that they believe is harmful or wrong. And sometimes the impulse is to rush in and correct that person, straighten that person out, fix that person. And, and you and I all have that impulse to straighten somebody out, to correct someone, to fix them. And yet when we've been taken on a journey with God, we learn the gift of empathy and we learn to understand and be compassionate with people. That's what support groups are built on. You take someone who's been on a, a cancer journey. Uh, they're able to help others who are on that same journey in support groups. You take someone who's been on a journey of divorce they have compassion for others who have gone through the same thing or who are going through the same thing. You take someone who has struggles with their children, it gives them compassion for other people who are going through that same thing. 
the power of Alcoholics Anonymous is that people who have dealt with that addiction have a huge level of compassion for others who are going through that same thing. And so in, in the work I do, I'm often looking for people who have been through a certain thing to pair with those who are going through that same thing. Because when we go on one of those journeys, we learn timing and we also learn compassion. And so what is God doing in your journey, in your desert? So that's one thing, gives us patience. The other thing God does is he makes us strong because we learn to deal with temptation and challenge. Now Abraham and Sarah, they took matters into their own hands. The Israelites, they wanted to go back into Egypt. Even in the New Testament, people had experienced grace in Christ. They wanted to go back to the old ways, the old law. And in both cases, in every case, God says, look to me. My power will give you strength for the journey. God wants to make us strong. We learn to deal with temptation in those wilderness times. We learn to deal with challenge in those times along the journey. When my son was young, he was learning how to ride a bike. And so I had a little bicycle, he had some training wheels off, and he'd ride around in the driveway with the training wheels on. He got to the point where he needed to get those training wheels off. I mean, he was getting ready to start shaving practically. And I said, you gotta get the training wheels off. And so we would go through this exercise. We took the training wheels off. I would hold onto the seat of the bike and run behind him as he's pedaling. So you can just see that. And of course, as soon as I let go, he'd fall. He, he hated that. He wanted those training wheels back on. But eventually, when I let go, he learned to ride on his own. And those falls made him able. And that's what God might be doing for you. So keep that in mind as a, as a perspective in life. Now, there's a story in the New Testament. A woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And in the first century Palestine, there were all kinds of terrible implications for that. And one day, Jesus is ministering in the public square in the marketplace, and she touched the hem of his garment. And he was like, all right, what happened here? He felt something leave him, some kind of power. And finally, he turns around. He says to her, did you touch me? And she confesses that she did. He said, daughter, which is a term of endearment, your faith has made you well. And that puzzled me for a long time. Her faith made her well? I don't think so. Wasn't it the power of God that made her well? Was Jesus just being humble? And what I've concluded over the years is he was emphasizing the power of partnering with the power of God as a human being, even as it's paired with a feeble person like you and me. And so could it be that the journey you're on is designed to make you strong? It's not a season of punishment. It's a season of strengthening. You see, by attempting to quickly remedy a situation in our human way, we might miss what God's doing. We might miss God's best solution. So as we conclude, I'm thinking about that promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah. I'm gonna give you these descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens. You know, to the, to the naked eye, there are about 9,000 stars that are available that we can see. About 9,000, that's a lot of stars. Uh, there are about 300 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy and there are like a trillion galaxies. It really is the toughest command in the Bible to count all the stars, right? It can't be done. But here's the thing. Abraham and Sarah didn't have to count all the stars. They only had to believe God for one star and God would take care of the rest. What is the one star that God is asking you to believe 
and to trust? What is that one thing in the course of everything you're going through that God says, you know, if you will believe me, I promise you I will teach you patience and I will make you strong. A little food for thought. Hope you have a terrific day, terrific week, and I will talk with you next time. Bye now.